On today's episode, exercise is your rehab, not the end result. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Back. Thanks for joining another episode. Hopefully your rehab has been going well this week. Hopefully you're starting to see results with your own PHT rehab in terms of getting back to the goals that you've set in terms of seeing just tangible improvements based on these episodes, based on um, what you have been learning. I have been pointing a lot of people to this podcast as a resource if they have mentioned to me that they've had PHT in the past or that they're currently suffering with PHT and um, as long as you sort of learn the tools, the strategies, you abide to them closely, you fully grasp them. <clears throat> Might take a couple of episodes to <clears throat> listen to a couple of times before you start to actually grasp the concept. Cause I know some of these episodes, um, can get a little bit complicated. I've tried my best to make it as simple as possible, but understanding that, <clears throat> you know, it took me 10 plus years of being a physio to fully grasp a lot of these concepts. So it might take a couple of episodes to listen to before you finally get it or just me explaining it in a different way, shining a different light on um, the same topic, but just a slightly different way. And then all of a sudden it clicks and you sort of get it. And today's topic is uh, one that I've been meaning to do for a while. It's all around considering exercise the the cardio exercise or the classes, the gym classes, the type of exercise that you want to return to, keeping in mind that it's a part of the rehab. It should be integrated within the rehab, not the end result. And that's sort of what we mean about this topic. It's whatever activity you have, it might be running, it might be cycling, hiking, walking, you name it, whatever goals you have, we need to consider that and incorporate it into steady phases into your rehab and why I need to talk about this, why I feel the need to talk about it is because I, I do hear clients often mention to me or I see on Facebook groups or just posts here and there, just comments being made around questions that sound similar to like a, when will I ever get back to running or when will I ever get back to cycling pain-free? When, when does that actually happen? How long do I have to wait? What do I have to do? And understandable, it's the it's the question that's in the forefront of everyone's mind when they're rehabbing their injury, even if it's a team sport. When can I get back to playing basketball? Or when can I get back to um, jumping pain-free? Something along those lines. And <clears throat> it is um, 
a valid question, but <clears throat> this topic requires a little bit of a mind shift because why this is important is because we're integrating those activities in as a part of your rehab. And it's important because we're bridging the gap between your current capacity and the future demand that you require to achieve these uh, whatever exercise you have in the most efficient way possible. If we're integrating exercise, we're integrating your goals into your strength and conditioning into your rehab, and we do so sensibly, then we're executing your rehab in the most efficient way possible. It's a high degree of specificity and it's adapting to your goals and adapting and building upon the gaps in your rehab that you might be missing. And so it's just not as as simple as if you want to get back to running, okay, I can't run at the moment because I, I have a flare up. It increases my symptoms. So what I'll do is not run, do a whole bunch of strength training, do everything that Brody says, do my deadlift squats, lunges, spend six to eight weeks or 12 weeks building up that before I can finally get back to running. It's just not as simple as that because you are actually taking time away from running and um, adapting to the strength. Yes, the tendons will get stronger, they will get fitter, but if you spend those 12 weeks doing a little bit of running and building upon that running in those 12 weeks, then you are being highly specific. You are recovering in the most efficient way possible. And then when you get in the first example, if you then get back to running after 12 weeks, you have to really start from baseline because the rest of the body hasn't been running either. And so you haven't really adapted or maintained the fitness or the, the movements, the coordination as a runner and you have to start from scratch. And so that's why I find the need to make this topic, to create this topic kind of, um, I've just put down a whole bunch of dot points of what I um, think I need to talk about to help clarify this particular topic. And hopefully it's communicated in a way that you fully understand. But I've decided to break it into a couple of examples. I've got running as an example. I've got cycling, um, sitting even, um, and just a few other tidbits here and there. So hopefully so far you kind of get what this topic is about and um, the mind shift that is required. So it's not just the idea about, okay, let me take some time off this exercise because it's now, it's currently painful. Let me just do my rehab exercise and then I'll be able to return to that activity once I do enough strength and conditioning. It just doesn't work that way. It's not that clear cut. So let's take running as an example. Let's just say you have PHT and you can run for, well, if you run for 10 minutes, it flares up symptoms. If you go for an easy jog and symptoms are flared up after 10 minutes, most people would say, okay, running just, I'm not ready for running. Let me just take some time off, get really strong, uh, follow my rehab protocol, and then let me get back into running. But even if something as minute as this, someone with a a capacity that's so low that they can't even tolerate 10 minutes of jogging, even that can start to be incorporated into your rehab. So yes, we are doing strength and conditioning that is aimed to reach the demands of running. So this is where kind of the physio insight comes in. But if you if your goal is to return to running, you need eccentric control of your hamstrings, which is the ability or the strength required to um tolerate force to build upon force as the muscle is lengthening. 
that's what the eccentric control is. And it's usually during the, um, the late swing phase of running. Yes, you need to have eccentric control. You need to have compression, um, tolerate high levels of compression, which is like when you plant your foot on the ground, when your heel strikes the ground, you're in a little bit of compression as the hamstring activates and the, the tendon itself is under compression. So our strength and conditioning will need to accommodate for that. We need to integrate speed and just generic kind of strength work, your your deadlifts, squats, lunges, just build up the, the overall strength. So yes, your um, strength and conditioning is helping all those phases of the running gait to help restore your running and help bridge that gap between where you currently are and where you need to be. But we are also doing whatever running dosage is tolerated alongside those strength and conditioning exercises. So an example and the most, I guess, minimal dosage that I have for runners to see if they can tolerate something would be, say, four rounds of jogging for one minute and then walking for however many minutes. It might be anywhere between one to three minutes. But let's just say, okay, you're doing your strength exercises. I want you to do those every second day. Um, But in between those days, how about maybe twice a week, we head out onto the track, we do a very slow jog, and we do four rounds of running for one minute, walking for one minute, and just see if you can tolerate that. And we all know what the acceptable levels of tolerance are. I've done so many episodes of those in the past, but that's just starting somewhere. And we can even go lower than that. We can even do, if you try that and symptoms flare up, well, let's do 30 seconds of running mixed with four minutes of walking and do four rounds of that. We're integrating running. It's a part of our rehab. And if that is tolerated, then every week we're building upon that dosage. We're building upon a little bit more running every single time. And just in the same way that the body will respond to your strength work, it will respond and adapt to the level of tolerance for running. And so this is very key to keep in mind and it does need to be quite structured, does need to be quite sensible. You do need to have accurate interpretation of symptoms, but works really well when you find a stable starting point. So a couple of examples, if slow running is tolerated, if you can do say 20 minutes of, of slow running, but then every time you integrate speed work or anytime you integrate running uphill, that causes a flare up, then we're doing the same thing again. Again, our strength and conditioning is implemented. Our resistance strength training is implemented to bridge the gap of the demands that we ask upon it. So if we think about speed work and we think about hills, that well, first of all, hills, we need to increase the demand of compression in our strength and conditioning exercises. So that might be, for example, doing weighted step-ups or progressing your weighted step-ups in your strength training. Because when you do weighted step-ups, you are stepping above um, the level ground, which is what you do when you are running uphill. So we're getting more specific to the, the bridging the gap between where you currently are and where you need to be or what's causing that flare up. If it's speed work, then we know that the 
the eccentric control and the concentric control need to be faster paced. So you might do, um, say, a prone hamstring curl with a, a resistance band. So lying on your stomach, having the TheraBand attached to your ankle, and then you're pulling your ankle towards your bum, doing that quite quickly because that will stimulate a lot of concentric control for um, the demands that require upon it. And then we're doing a lot of eccentric work because we know that the eccentric demand is quite high when we need speed work. So it's doing things like Nordics or doing like heavier deadlifts, those particular examples. And then, so that's the strength conditioning side of things. But the idea of the topic today is also to integrate the exercise alongside your, your strength and conditioning. So exercise is a part of your rehab. And so in this particular example, if running fast or increasing that speed work is problematic, let's build it in. Let's say if you, let's build out a, an interval session where you're jogging for two minutes, but then you're just doing a slightly faster run for 30 seconds. And we do that for four or five rounds. And if that's successful, then next time we can do a little bit more, either run at the same speed for 30 seconds, I'll run at the same speed for 45 seconds or 60 seconds, or run at the same duration. So still do that 30 seconds, but do it a little bit faster because we know that speed is on a spectrum. A lot of people say, when can I get, when I, when can I return to fast running? Well, it depends how fast you want to go. Do you want to sprint? for 10 seconds or do you want to go slightly faster for two minutes? It's yeah, it's a wide spectrum, which is why we need to get really specific with the speed that you're after. And when you start increasing the intervals, we want to make sure that we're being very systematic with how we increase that, that pace and that speed. Um, if it's hills, then if you can tolerate low amount, oh, if you can tolerate say 20 minutes of jogging on the flats, well, let's do a 20-minute jog, but then let's include a 60-second jog up a hill and then see how things go after that. It's only 60 seconds, but if you're tolerating that quite well, then next time we do a little bit more and then we do a little bit more. And it, it does require that slowly progressing those variables um, and slowly tailoring your strength and conditioning to suit those variables and we progress based on symptoms. We progress based on what's acceptable, how you tolerate, um, how symptoms are tolerated 24 hours after that exercise. Very key to keep in mind. If you, if you are a runner and you find this topic particularly interesting, I do have um, an episode about this on the Run Smarter podcast. I interviewed Greg Lehman. Uh, it was episode 137 and it was all about this, like um, exercise is your rehab or running is your rehab. I think that was the title of the episode. And it was all around Greg's blog, which gave me the idea for these sort of topics. The blog was actually called Running is Rehab when the doing is the fixing. So if you're interested, head over to the Run Smarter podcast and have a listen to that episode because I found it fascinating. Um, but enough about the running. Let's dive into a few other examples. Okay, let's do cycling as an example because if I was to try and gauge based on the listeners, the responses, the feedback, I would say probably about 60% of the listeners are runners. I'd say about 15 to 20% are cyclists or triathletes. Um, 
I'd say there's probably about 15% uh, that are just non-runners, non-cyclists and just want to get back to sitting, working, um, maybe just doing a gym class. So I thought I'd include cycling as an example. Uh, let's say you cannot tolerate 10 minutes of cycling. If you, if you jump on the bike and you ride for 10 minutes, it causes a significant flare up. So same with that running example, quite an aggressive, um, low level of tolerance. So how do we use exercise? How do we incorporate exercise as part of the rehab? Um, let's just add say access to a stationary bike because that can be quite nice having a stationary bike available because then we can build in some interval sessions into your rehab. Um, one example that I was thinking of would be, okay, you have your normal rehab exercises. You have lunges, deadlifts, squats, everything that we've talked about in the podcast in previous episodes, but let's then do or trial two minutes of really low wattage. So like really easy kind of pedaling, um, and do that for two minutes, um, every single set. So let's go to the gym, let's do deadlifts, let's do lunges, one set of each, and then go onto the bike and do the bike for a really easy bike session for two minutes. And then you go back. So we're supersetting these these particular exercises. You do the deadlifts again, do the lunges again, then go onto the bike and we do say three or four sets of that. We're incorporating cycling into our rehab. And so the body itself is starting to tolerate if, if that was a successful um, session, then we're rehabbing your tendons. We're getting stronger, but we're also kind of incorporating and adapting to cycling because that's our goal. You can try a non-aggressive posture and that being you could, if it's a stationary bike, you can sit up, you can sit up on the seat. Um, so you, when it comes to the aggressive posture, that's more of like um, someone who wants to get aerodynamic. So like really leaned forward on the handlebars or really tucked in that tends to increase the amount of compression on the tendon depends on the seat shape, but in some cases will increase the demand and the stretch and the compression of the tendon and may aggravate. Whereas sitting up might be a lot more, um, tolerated. You could say everyone's different. Um, some people like to sit up on the pedals because the actual act of sitting on the seat is aggravating things. So you might want to do some cycling for two minutes. Maybe it's a, a harder wattage or like a harder resistance, but then you're up on the pedals and you're doing that for two minutes. Everyone's different. Everyone responds differently to, to cycling, but it does require a bit of trial and error. If that's you, you might want to go up on the, the pedals. If it's more the aggressive posture, then you might just want to sit up and have your hands totally off the, the handlebars and do the two minutes of that, whatever works for you. So over time, we're increasing the demands of the intervals. So we could build up to doing three sets of five minutes. If we started at intervals of two minutes and we slowly build up in phases up to five minutes, once you can do three sets of five minutes, we're still supersetting in our, our lunges, our deadlifts, um, then you might want to add an increase in power. And so we're slowly maybe for one or two sets doing a slight uptick in power or like the resistance on the pedals. Um, once you're building up quite a, a high tolerance for that, then you might want to slowly 
go into more of an aggressive posture if required, if you're a triathlete that races um, and you need to get into that tucked in posture, then maybe that's something that we slowly integrate. Again, requires a bit of creativity. It's just um, as long as you're following a nice formula that's sensible and well-structured, then it's, it's really hard to go wrong. It's really hard to create a really significant flare up if you're just increasing minute amounts and doing so sensibly. You wouldn't increase your posture. Or you wouldn't increase the power and increase the, the forward lean or aggressive posture at the same time because that's increasing the loads or it's too abrupt of a change. We're just dealing with one variable at a time. And as we've said in this podcast before uh, or in this, this episode, we are progressing or um, bridging the gap in your strength and conditioning alongside the, um, the exercise itself. So while you're slowly building up the duration, the posture, the power for the cycling, Alongside that, we are doing your strength and conditioning to try and bridge that gap or try and facilitate or accentuate the, the demands that are required. So some examples, if you are one that needs to get into that tucked in posture, that really aerodynamic posture, then we might want to do really deep single leg presses on a machine. So just a standard single leg press where it's just almost like a really deep squat kind of range and then you're pushing that the weight out. You might want to start doing full deadlifts if you're only used to doing half or three-quarter ranges. You might want to do prone hamstring curls, which are into deeper levels of flexion, like potentially, I'm thinking of like the pull-up, like if you are cycling and you have cleats, the um, pull-up phase um, requires a bit of hamstring strength. And so you might want to do um, either even sitting hamstring curls, so on that on the machine where you're sitting and you curl the heels underneath you, those sort of things can be um, an accessory to the cycling kind of pedal stroke, this, the cycling technique. So that could be quite nice as well. Um, as the last one, for those who aren't needing to return to running or cycling, it could even just be as simple as sitting because we do know that sitting is can be quite irritable for a lot of people. A lot of people get back to exercise, get back to hiking, get back to all the things that they love, but then they still can't sit. And so that's why I thought I'd mention it a little bit here. Um, and I also get a lot of clients saying, when can I sit pain-free? It's the same question, just rephrased as to when can I return to running pain-free? Same question, um, but requires the same answer when it comes to this particular topic. And you can alter your sitting similar to how we alter that cycling by changing the posture and changing the power on the pedals, you can change your sitting to reduce the demands of what's required of the tendon. So in other words, reducing the compression. And I have an episode on sitting in the past, but um, a cushion, um, a higher chair, like something to reduce the direct compression on the sitting bones. So once you've done that, and if you say have access to a sit stand desk or you can stand up and move around every a um, couple of minutes, or if you can work in the standing position, then what we can do is sit. Let's take a really um, severe example. Let's say you can't tolerate 10 minutes of sitting. How about every hour of your working day, let's sit for five minutes 
and see if that can be tolerated. And you do that throughout the eight hours of you working. And so we're building this into your rehab. So the exercise in this particular example, it's sitting is a part of your rehab. And so if five minutes is tolerated every hour, maybe then we sit for five minutes every 45 minutes. We're integrating more sitting every time. Then potentially we could sit for 10 minutes and do that every hour. And we just build out a progression sheet, which requires a little bit more sitting every time. And as you build that out, your body starts to adapt and get used to that level of compression sitting at that particular spot. And like anything, alongside that, we are doing a strength and conditioning workout to accommodate for what we need to bridge that gap. So in this example, it would be tolerating sitting. It would be the tendon tolerating high levels of compression. So we're talking squats and deadlifts. If you can't tolerate deadlifts, if you can't tolerate squats at a very low, easy amount, then sitting is going to be tough for you. If you can build up your deadlifts, so you're squatting, you know, squatting and deadlifting 20 kilos, 40 pounds, something like that, then you're, you're building out a foundation. You're on a really nice way to start tolerating levels of sitting. You might be able, might be able to push out to 15 minutes, then out to 30 minutes, and then your squats and deadlifts get up to 40 kilos or 60 pounds, and you can tolerate sitting for an hour. It's they, they work alongside one another, which is why this particular structure could be really nice, which is why we integrate sitting as a part of your rehab. We don't just give up on sitting altogether, which I have seen people have said they're back to running, back to cycling. They just never sit because that aggravates things. It needs to be a part of your rehab. It needs to be a part of things. And as long as it's gradual, as long as it's systematic, as long as you're bridging the gap between where your current capacity is and the demands that are required of you. As long as we're constantly working towards that, we're creating little minute steps in order to achieve that, then that's um, building out a really nice, well, you're on your way to becoming really resilient and truly overcoming the PHT. So as a recap, questions or if you've been puzzled around when can I get back to my activity when can I return pain-free just be proactive enough and in the most efficient way possible building this into your rehab building that goal into your rehab it's step by step and if you are unsure how to do that if it requires too much creativity if you're trying to do it yourself and it just keeps causing flare-ups if you're not seeing those significant gains, that's when a health professional, a trained health professional can help you. That's why I have um, these free 20-minute injury chats, which have been really popular. A lot of people have been booking in for these injury chats um, to ask me questions and see if you do require assistance, um, if you do need me to help you with your program, build something like this out. Um, if you're struggling yourself, that's why I'm here. And so... See how you go trying it out. See how you go maybe listening to this over and over again, coming up with ideas, being creative, sort of empowering yourself to build out a structured plan. And if it's not working in the first couple of weeks, recruit a rehab team member to just be a part of that, that rehab process. Thanks for joining me once again. Thank you so much to everyone who is sharing this podcast to other people with PHT because they've found it effective and found it uh, a useful resource. 
Really, really appreciate that. I love seeing people sharing this podcast. So if you do come across someone with PHT, please um, point them to a particular episode or point them to the podcast and say, this has really helped me if it has, um, because I just really love seeing that. And I'll catch you next time. Good luck with your rehab this week. And I look forward to bringing you next week's episode. Thanks once again for listening and taking control of your rehab. If you are a runner and love learning through the podcast format, then go ahead and check out the Run Smarter podcast hosted by me. I'll include the link along with all the other links mentioned today in the show notes. So open up your device, click on the show description, and all the links will be there waiting for you. Congratulations on paving your way forward towards an empowering, pain-free future. And remember, knowledge is power. Oh,